Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. And this is our 101st episode. Yes, 101. Some would say this is the beginning of season two. Others would say it's not. Yeah. I do want to make a make a note here that uh, I approach Zach earlier on whenever we talk about what topic we're going to do for what episode. And I said to him, Zach, we should do an episode for our 101 episode. We should do it on the 101 Dalmatians video games that have been released. And he was really excited. And then we didn't. I was actually really excited about that. And then I think you assumed I was joking and we didn't do that episode no we didn't do that no and and this this episode has been probably one that we should have done a while ago but we haven't so this will will be fun we'll get into the topic of this week in just a moment as if you are familiar with our show we first talk about what we recently played and then we talk That's about right. what the name of the episode is about so you as the listener already know what this episode is called or what we're going to talk about but first something else zach what have you been recently playing seth recently i have been playing phasmophobia which we've already talked about i don't remember when we talked about it but i assume we talked about it sometime last year at least mm. because that's around the time it came out and i'm pretty sure we kind of we got on that phasmophobia phobia hype train pretty early and i remember we streamed it a bit and those were some fun streams you and i haven't played it again since but i've played it since nice they got a big update recently didn't they yeah that's exactly why i was playing it recently was because there was actually two updates there was one that was much more recent i think as of recording this it happened like in the past few days and then there was a previous update that happened that was also pretty significant and this update added all new models for your equipment it actually added new ghosts there's some new locations one thing that i loved is that now the difficulty of the map that you're playing can be toggled for any map so when we first started playing phasmophobia the difficulty was tied to the map that you wanted to play so for example the asylum was always a expert difficulty while the farmhouse was always like an amateur or sometimes a uh, i think normal mode or whatever it's called or right like the in-between between amateur and expert i think it's professional i think that's what they call it and we were decidedly amateurs correct but now you can toggle the difficulty for any map so you can play a really small house on expert or you can play the asylum on amateur level which i think is actually really cool for one thing this actually changes how the ghost will manifest itself so similar to how it was when it came out there are some kind of lead up time before you enter what's called the haunt phase where the ghost starts coming at you and trying to kill you and this is still the case where if you play on amateur mode you have slightly longer lead up time than if you play on expert mode but one of the cool things that i'm pretty sure is actually something they added recently was if you play on expert mode the ghost will sometimes not do one of its pieces of evidence so it makes it kind of harder to guess the ghost because all of the ghosts perform specific pieces of evidence be it they show up as spirit orbs or um 
maybe they manifest as high electromagnetic field readings or maybe they uh speak to you through the spirit box which is kind of a broken radio and that's the secret of ghost hunting by the way spirit boxes are usually broken radios and now if you're playing on expert mode then sometimes that one of those pieces of evidence that may be tied to that ghost just won't trigger at all so it's significantly harder to figure out what ghost it is if it's not doing one of those pieces of evidence so you have to kind of rely on non-specific things that the ghost might do such as maybe the ghost only attacks one person in the house or maybe the ghost only shows up in certain areas so you kind of have to rely on those things which you could do when you're playing amateur mode but in amateur mode the ghost will always have the three types of evidences that allow you to pin down which ghost it is which is a good way to make money yeah so if you play in harder difficulties you you will earn more money but if you play in amateur difficulty you can consistently earn money i think they actually did balance that but i'm not 100 percent sure on that i did notice i wasn't making as much money i think as we made when we were playing and we're kind of we're not high high level but like my friends are like level two and i'm level like 18 so <laughs> oh are we well we did play a lot of it for a little while yeah i i love phasmophobia i think they've done a great job with some of these updates i'm excited to see some of the new updates that are coming Does it have forward a single player now yes it also has a single player mode now a proper single player mode which i think is fantastic because that means that if i want to poop my pants then I have a great method to do so. (laughs) Some of the cooler things in the update that I really like are some of the new pieces of equipment. So there's like a uh, laser light display thing that you can do now. It's basically is this little box you put on the ground. You can set up a camera and you can watch as like figures move in the laser points. Oh, that's cool. Very spooky. We'll have to uh, play it again someday soon. Yeah, absolutely. Seth, what about you? What have you been playing? Uh, So recently I've been playing a game called Hunt Down. The Freeman? No, and it's... Not to be confused with Hunt Showdown. Um, Hunt Down was developed by Easy Trigger Games and published by Coffee Stain Publishing. It was released back in May of uh, of this year. And it's a side-scrolling kind of blasting game where you play in this dystopia future where you are a bounty hunter and you have to hunt down criminals. Or I, I guess they're criminals. They're people who have bounties on them. You can say they're criminals to sleep at night. And there are three different bounty hunters that you can play as. There is a dude who is a human there is a lady who is a cyborg and there is a robot who is a robot and they have three different types of weapons so like if you play as the robot it's like a a quick shooting pistol the human guy has like a slow shooting rifle and the female cyborg has like a smg type weapon and you go through it there's like power-ups you can pick up there's weapons that you can temporarily get where you'll hold on for them for a little while kind of reminds me a little bit of like metal slug scented in like the dystopia future or a little bit of like bro force and you go through and there will be essentially a couple of stages leading up to your bounty and then you fight your bounty who's like a little boss battle and they each do something a little bit differently so like there was like one guy that i fought that had like a chain and he'd just come around whipping his chain at me the next guy that i fought had like stun gloves and was coming around that way and you have to kind of figure out how they attack and best way to shoot 
shoot them. Then you move on to the next kind of uh, map where you'll pick up the next bounty and you'll you'll go on and play through the various different stages. Really great kind of like sit back with a controller type game. It's got very nice visuals. The gameplay is very fluid and uh, it's overall just kind of been a, a really a, a joy to, to play through the game. I've been playing as Mao Man, who's the robot. What's great is the they have cutscenes and it's all animated and it's also fully voice acted. And the person who gives you the bounties talks to you specifically as whichever character you select and your character will respond and then throughout the game your character will say different uh like taunts or something like that so mao man constantly talks about how like humans are just like inefficient and and stuff like you know like just general robot bashing onto the humans that he's fighting and it, it's yeah it's it's cool i like it if you're looking for that type of side scrolling kind of metal slug type game then definitely check out hunt down so today we are going to be talking about a game that really has not much to do with either of these games though it is kind of blasty and explodey so and is a game that will once we talk about this game it'll allow us to talk about other games because this game spawned a lot of other games including a game that we technically already talked about but that doesn't matter Anyway, today we are talking about Quake. It is a, a game made by our friends over at id Software, um, who had previously worked on Doom, another great game. And uh, when it comes to memories of Quake, honestly, my memories of Quake aren't super specific. Back in high school, I used my family's computer a lot. I didn't really have my own computer. So I needed games that I could play on this family computer. And often those games were old. For example, one of the first games I got to play on that family computer was Half-Life. Bear in mind, this was in the 2000s when I was playing on this computer, not in the 90s when Half-Life came out. So uh, I, I had to kind of cut some corners if I wanted to have fun. Um, but one of the other games that I got to work on that computer was Quake. I actually initially downloaded Quake, I believe, from from a website that eventually I bought Quake via Steam, as Quake is available on Steam along with other versions of Quake. What about you, Seth? What are your memories? So I, I actually have more memories of Quake Arena versus Quake itself. Um, I didn't play a lot of Quake, the single player game, and the game that we're actually going to be talking about. I did play a lot of Quake Arena, though. And Quake Arena was actually where I first encountered the word frag because they oh, talk yeah. about fragging people in, in Quake, which means to kill the other person who you are fighting. And I also remember that Quake was, in my mind, it was the first person shooter that allowed you to do a bunch of silly things instead of being grounded, like Counter-Strike. And it's it's actually funny because I played more of Counter-Strike than I did of Quake, but Quake, I felt, was like very frantic. And it was a very quick game. You could jump around, you had like jump jets, and you could get height on people. It was just very unique compared to like more realistic first person shooters that were out such as Counter-Strike, Team Fortress, Day of Defeat, which were the mods and games that I was primarily playing. I, I mean, even uh, compared to like Halo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quake is a bit more kind of over the top compared to Halo, I think, at least in terms of the multiplayer, where the uh, single player is a bit more grounded, I feel. So going on now, we're going to talk a bit about Quake's history. And Quake has really an interesting history as it came along in that era of id Software 
really getting their start because Quake kind of got its start pretty early on in the early days. Now, Quake was not always going to be a first-person shooter. In fact, in the first promotion of the game, it announced it was a completely new approach to fantasy gaming, and the game was going to be called Quake The Fight for Justice. The player in the game would have been named Quake and would have been equipped with the Hammer of Thunderbolts, a Ring of Regeneration, and a trans-dimensional artifact. This character, Quake, would have been the strongest character around from the very beginning of the game. Instead of in other fantasy games, which would have you start off as like underpowered and you would have to increase your power over time. Id Software really wanted to make this game kind of conform to the standards they were setting with their other games, such as Doom and their Commander Keen series before that. Id was going to have animated scrolling backgrounds in this game, and there were going to be NPCs that were all going to have their own personal lives and identities. And the game would have been in 256 color with VGA versions of the game were available. Now, I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about this before, at least really more in depth. But for those who don't know, a VGA VGA is an acronym, as it, and it stands for Video Graphics Array, and it's a, a type of, to put it bluntly, it's just a type of video display controller, but it was the standard for video display pretty much throughout the late 80s. Before VGA, there were some other types of display standards, uh, for example, CGA, which stood for Color Graphics Adapter, and CGA is kind of best well known for its colors, so if you had a CGA card and you're running it on your computer you're really only able to display typically four colors from specific palettes so for example there was a red yellow green black palette a cyan magenta white black palette vga is the follow-up essentially to these graphical adapters that were available and it became the standard in the late 80s and pretty much became the the set standard for ibm pc clones because it was what they were copying so if you picked up a computer you probably had a vga card on it i'm actually betting most people listening to this still have a vga card in their computer unless you have like a really souped up computer now for the game they're going to have pretty much the depth of the game to be something more than just whack 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 you know find your gold etc it would have had puzzles and you would have had to make complex decisions in order to progress however quake the fight for justice despite being possibly one of the finest sounding pc games of all time was not the game that we got not to say that the quake we got is a bad game it's just not quake the fight for justice id software went off to build the finest pc game ever and while they were working on it in 1991 they sat back and they thought about it and they decided they really wanted quake the fight for justice to be three-dimensional and the technology they had in 1991 was just not really up to snuff to what they wanted to create so they put quake aside quake actually came from one of Carmack's D&D characters and that's where Quake came from which so is which is fun because Doom is based on one of their D&D campaigns that's right that's right yeah, Carmack had a, a character in a D&D campaign, perhaps in Doom, named Quake. Uh, fun fact, the people at id Software 
we're nerds. Yes, which is good for us. It Software would go on to work on Doom, and then they would go work on Doom 2, and then they began to work on a new fully three-dimensional engine, and what they would end up doing is calling the game that they were building in this, Quake. Now, John Romero began work on level design during the time after Doom 2, after he wrote Quake ED, a 3D editing tool. By this time, the team consisted of Romero, Adrian Carmack, John Carmack, and Kevin Cloud. Shortly after the development began, Sandy Peterson and Dave Taylor would join in with the, the rest of the team. They were also eventually joined by John Cash and Michael Abrish, who worked on programming for the game. I believe Sandy Peterson and Dave Taylor were level designers? Development was a struggle, as people would often dispose of each other's concepts or ideas during development. So you might be working on something, and then someone would have thrown your work out because it didn't, it didn't work with their thing. One such designer who encountered this was American McGee, who would go on to uh, become a game designer in his own right, making the widely well-known American McGee Alice series, as well as some other great titles. Anyway, American McGee worked on this game and um, would later help with the project joining the team. However, he would constantly have to delete the levels he was creating in the engine due to changes that they were constantly making to the engine so he would build this level and then it just wouldn't work anymore so you'd have to get rid of it scrap it and begin again and it was really frustrating for everyone involved despite the game having the start of being this fantasy role-playing adventure game id software was determined to make the game like doom full of gore blood and violence john romero however had a different vision for quake he really wanted it to be dramatically different from what id software had previously put out romero wanted to do something new with gaming that hadn't been done before and really didn't see the point in going back to the tropes that they had already established with games like doom this creative difference actually led to him leaving the company shortly after the release of quake and romero would actually later kind of have his vision realized with the release of the game daikatana which was a disaster of a game but at least romero got his vision made which props on you john romero sorry your game was awful <laughs> anyway back to quake eventually the game engine was ready despite a lot of setbacks one of those setbacks being john carmack reportedly not being interested in enlarging the company so nobody was hired during the period where they probably could have done with more staff and they they struggled by having small teams work on these projects despite objections from romero quake was given a weapon system similar to doom in 1996 a version was available to be demoed and q test was released to various mirror sites to test the deathmatch and online capabilities. It also gave gamers the first look at how the game would be able to be modded by giving them a look at things like the file structure, which in hindsight may not be always the best idea to give a large community the look at your file structure, as we'll, we'll learn a little bit later about the piracy. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, during this time that the game also faced another issue, this time from Germany. A German company had made claims to the name Quake and various variations of the word. Its software lawyers were able to get permission to use the word for the game, and thankfully they didn't need to buy the rights. Quake was released on June 22nd, 1996. Following the release, Romero, Abrash, Sean Green, Jay Wilbur, Sandy Peterson, Mike Wilson all quit the company. In a later interview, Peterson stated that he felt like that Quake lacked a project team leader 
Kickstarter, and this caused a lot of issues they faced in development. And apparently in that interview, Peterson also stated, at least from from his memory and from, from what he was saying, he actually recommended to the team that he could take on the lead as project leader and john carmack just outright rejected that despite the fact that peterson apparently had years of experience working as a project leader at microprose so before he came to id he was at microprose and did a project lead there and carmack was just like no you're not you're not taking a project lead on this so i don't know i mean that was that's what peterson said so i don't want to like put words obviously in anyone's mouth and i'm not going to make any assumptions there but um it does sound like development was fraught quake is a first person shooter the point of view that you have in the game is that of the player and typically the way a first person shooter works at least in this time is you'll have a gun or a weapon of some sort show up at the bottom of your screen and in quake's example similar to doom the player would also have their statistics health ammo and armor also displayed along in a little kind of like status bar and there'd be kind of a an animated picture of your face um which at least in doom and i'm pretty sure in quake would get kind of visibly more battered and beaten as you get injured and also gets angry when you're shooting it's like this guy's walking around with like a a mirror so he can look at his face as he shoots now one of our favorite parts of quake at least i know it's one of mine and seth said it was one of his in the notes is the actual just level select option and the difficulty settings in the game you you start it up it goes through the menu sequence as you would in any id game at that time however instead of choosing like your level and difficulty through the menu you actually get loaded into a level you have one path that says easy and it's just kind of a, a straight bridge that you have to cross in the center is medium and it's a little jump that you have to make and then there's hard and you have to kind of do a little like platforming to get to the portal to access the hard difficulty and then there was a nightmare difficulty that was actually locked away so you would go through and then this would lead into the episode selector to find the nightmare mode you would actually have to um, go through the water that was before the episode entrance through a little secret passage quake is broken up into four episodes and each episode is broken up into around seven or eight levels. Each episode has a secret level. This is actually very, very similar to Doom. Doom is also broken up into episodes, has about seven or eight levels, and each episode also typically has some form of secret level in it. Though, Quake did have a secret level that had no gravity, which was a unique level that posed different problems for the player than usual. As the player plays through each level, if they die, they would have to restart the level once the episode was completed it unlocked another episode at least in the full retail version of the game because there was also a shareware version which we'll get into a little later and the player would then continue on from that point each episode would grant the player a magical rune and once the player collected all the magical runes the end level was unlocked the game could also be played in multiplayer where the players could go through the game either cooperatively or competitively so you could go through the game just like Zach and I could play through the story of Quake but we could be on the same team or we could also go up against each other a little PvP as it were player versus player the most popular multiplayer game that was available was of course Deathmatch now they had other game modes as well though Deathmatch would be the one that would reign supreme and Deathmatches would either come as a free-for-all where there was no teams one-on-one where it was just me and Zach just duking it out or organized team play where the players would be 
split up by teams or also known as clans. Now, Quake was a unique first-person shooter since the player could move around uh, more freely versus other first-person shooters at the time. The player could also bunny hop around to get faster movement, use rocket jumps to gain height advantages, and even change direction entirely while in air. And all these different fun aspects added to the game made it appealing to people who played first-person shooter games. So appealing and so popular, in fact, that it was one of the first games to be acknowledged as an electronic sport or an eSport. Now, in May of 1997, the first nationwide video game competition that was held in the United States called Red Annihilation, sponsored by Microsoft, and the game of choice was Quake. Red Annihilation was like this like, almost like Sword Quest challenge type deal, except they didn't run out of money like Sword Quest did. So they had like 2,000 entrants and the final 16 were actually brought to E3. Now, what's interesting is that the 16 people who played at E3 played in like an arena pit, which you can go to like E3 or to PAX and see these type of matches happen live. However, back Back in 97, E3 wasn't open to the public. It was only open as a trade show and only open to industry people. So a majority of the spectators actually watched online via in-game footage. I'm pretty sure there was like probably some like rigged up system where you had to watch it. Though two two people ended up running the essentially the cameras for the game and people would watch the essentially the live stream, which is even before live streaming was a thing. This is 97 now. And uh, they actually got covered by like Wall Street Journal and another NBC or something like that. Like a news nice. agency came. In the end, uh, a, a young man at the time, Dennis Fox, Kong, aka Thresh, beat out Entropy and won the tournament that included winning John Carmack's Ferrari 328. Dennis Fong was actually not allowed to have insurance over a Ferrari based on his, you know, as a college kid, no insurance company is going to insure a college kid to drive a Ferrari around. Uh, so John Carmack actually had to personally insure Dennis Fong for a year so that Dennis Fong could actually drive his Ferrari around and enjoy it. That's fun. Yeah. It's fun that uh, we have esports today primarily because of games like Quake and StarCraft. Yeah, absolutely. Now, earlier we talked about what the potential for Quake's plot to be. Back when they made that initial blurb about it, where it was going to be this fantasy game where you would travel around and talk to NPCs. Well, that's not what the final game was like. Uh, The final game actually differed very greatly from the original plan for Quake. Uh, In fact, the character's name was not even Quake anymore. In the game, you play as an unnamed character, though later games refer to him as a ranger. Ranger is voiced by Trent Reznor, who was the lead vocalist and songwriter for the band Nine Inch Nails. Reznor also performed the music and created the sound design for the game. And fun fact... There's a little Easter egg to uh, Nine Inch Nails in the game. The nail gun, which is one of the weapons, has these ammo boxes that you pick up. And each ammo box has the Nine Inch Nails logo on it for the band. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, just a nice little Easter egg to kind of, uh, you know, thank Reznor, I think. In the story, the ranger is sent into a portal to stop an enemy. The enemy being codenamed Quake. Uh, this enemy has been sending death squads of creatures to our dimension called the human dimension to test humans and their abilities your mission is to collect four magic runes from these four different dimensions and stop the invading forces and 
this uh, malevolent enemy, Quake. Now, uh, Quake was first released as a retail shareware copy before full distribution, very similar to how Doom was released. Uh, the shareware copies could be converted to full versions by purchasing a password. However, many people quickly realized that uh, they could just hack it. They could break it. They could figure out passwords and essentially hackers quickly made work of all of the passwords and they were able to get copies of the game for free. And I think that says something about how time changed from when Doom 1 was released and when Quake was released. I think id Software didn't change how they distributed games because they were like, yeah, give the shareware version, get them hooked. You have a simple key to unlock the entire game. And that may have worked in like 91, but by 96, 97, you're coming around to a time where people are able to Alta Vista search things. They also expose those hackers to the software from the beginning when they released the Q-Test. People were like primed and ready to get it. They identified that the hackers ended up probably compromising about 150,000 unsold shareware copies, being that they had to pull back their plans because so many people were taking the game for free based on shareware. So because of all the situation with the hackers and the shareware versions being exploited, they actually missed being able to ship to the holiday season, which is another big loss for them. Initially, 250,000 units were shipped to the retailers, and in the United States, Quake plays six, according to PC Data's monthly computer game sales charts for November and December of 96. Over 393,575 shareware copies were sold, and in 1996, the game grossed $3 million, well, $3,005,519, according to a 1997 Wall Street Journal article. However, they started to pick up, and by December of the following year, 1997, Quake had sold 1.4 million copies. The game also scored really well in game magazines. Game rankings gave it a 93%. Metacritic held it at a 94 and Next Generation gave it five stars. So I think it goes to show you that you have to really plan how you're going to launch a game where you can get kind of screwed if you don't really understand what the market's going to look like. If they just prepared for a full retail version and they didn't release the shareware version, uh, they might have had that success earlier on instead of losing it out to hackers. However, there is something to be said about people who are so invested in playing a game that they steal it that they may eventually go down the road and, and pick up the game. Despite those initial setbacks, Quake was a success and with great sales come great follow-ups. Within the coming years, Quake received not only multiple official expansion packs, which were called mission packs, uh, the first being developed by Hypnotic Interactive and another being developed by Rogue Entertainment, but id Software would also release something called Quake World, which was a revamped version of the multiplayer with updated network code. Various sequels have been made since. Quake 2 in 1997, Quake 3 Arena in 1999, Quake 4 in 2005, Enemy Territory, Quake Wars in 2007, and most recently Quake Champions in 2017, which was released on a, a free-to-play model. Beyond the modding, beyond the multiplayer, beyond esports, 
Quake also did something, in my opinion, that was really kind of cool, and it created a new form of media, machinima. Now, I don't think we've ever talked about machinima on this podcast. We might have, but for those who don't know, machinima is a type of, I don't know if I want to call them movies, but it's a type of movie format, I guess you can say, where the movie is actually filmed, or the video is filmed, using a video game's real-time computer graphics. Uh, and, And typically, this is in video games, though sometimes times you can use specifically designed filmmaking tools built in those engines like for example source filmmakers uh, something you could use for machinima a very popular example of a machinima type uh show was red versus blue which was done in the uh the halo engine right and machinima has also made it to mainstream with there was an episode of south park where they explored the world of warcraft and blizzard actually helped them film specific machinima scenes for that episode now really quake was one of the earliest games that had machinima in this kind of narrative structure because before quake people were using various demo utilities for games to allow them to record things like speed runs or maybe if you were playing quake in the early days you might want to record your deathmatch session because games like quake often came with a utility that allowed you to record a snippet of in-game footage using the game's ability to create demos. So basically you would record a demo and like for example when you leave a game sitting on the menu screen it would go to a demo. You could record these demos and manipulate them using some pretty easy methods that players were able to figure out. And players also realized that they could do things like record it from perspective of a spectator so that they could float around the map and capture specific camera angles. In fact, one of the earliest pieces of Quake Machinima was something called Diary of a Camper, which was directed by Matthew Von Sickler in 1996. It's regarded as one of the first pieces of narrative machinima, and it's actually really unique because it doesn't have spoken dialogue. All of the dialogue is conducted via the in-game chat function, um, which shows up as a text readout at the top of the screen um, for when like players would be chatting with each other in game so what these filmmakers would do is they would actually host private servers invite all their friends pretty much to a death match you know set the spawn limit to whatever they wanted and turn off the time settings and get to work and record and this is how they would do it they wouldn't be shared as video files they would be shared as demo files so all you'd have to do is load up the demo in your copy of quake and you could watch their machinima because it didn't require any additional edits or anything like that they did everything in game later people would actually throw their footage in like things like Adobe Premiere or Vegas or something like that and actually add audio and music and everything like that. Quake also saw a massive modding scene as we brought up. Uh, Mods ranged from new levels to entire total conversions. One such conversion was actually sold at retail and was called X-Men The Ravages of Apocalypse. In the game you play as a guy who must fight off clones of the X-Men so it is the only game I know of where you can shoot Wolverine in the face with a shotgun. (laughs) This game was developed by Zero Gravity Entertainment and published by Wizardworks who we briefly talked about in episode 41 because they also published the StarCraft expansion pack, 
Starcraft Retribution, which was one right. of those third-party unofficial expansion packs. I love when um, unofficial mods get sold for retail. A lot of people use other games for building blocks to make other games. Even today, like um, The Forgotten City is um, originally a Skyrim total conversion that was then put into its own engine and sold. And it, it sold very well. Now, some other famous games, some famous games, unlike X-Men The Ravages of Apocalypse, also started out as quake mods for example half-life began life in the quake engine before it went over to its own engine the gold source engine which is really just the quake engine but modified by valve another famous game was team fortress which saw life originally as a mod for quake and later a mod for quake world and eventually valve bought it got their hands all over it (laughs) got their hands all over team fortress which is says something about the community right because Valve and id software obviously id owned the rights of Quake and Valve really took Quake and modified it made Gold Source and then from Gold Source made the Source engine and really became their own unique people but I don't think there's ever been any bad blood between them it's kind of always been this kind of open exchange of information and I feel like that generally leads to more innovation Quake's online multiplayer competitiveness was something that has also lasted to today and can be likely considered one of the earliest types of esports, as we mentioned earlier, with events like QuakeCon getting their start in 1996 and still being held to this day. The first QuakeCon had around 100 people. However, QuakeCon 2019 had over 10,000. Both 2020 and 2021 were held virtually because of the pandemic, but I'm sure that they will eventually get back to in-person QuakeCons. Perhaps Zach and I will go to a QuakeCon and be blown away by all the things we don't understand. (laughs) And that is our Quake episode. We forgot to mention, Quake just had its 25th anniversary. Happy birthday, Quake. I do like, Quake's kind of got this like fantasy motif, but you use like shotguns. It's it's more of like a, it's more of like a gothic motif, I would call it, less than fantasy. Yeah, there's definitely like a gothic motif going on, and then you're like blasting things with shotguns. It's great. It's a good old id game. If you do want to play Quake as part of the 25th anniversary, they actually updated the version on Steam, which I think is like nine bucks right now. Anyway, the version you can buy has 4K resolution support, widescreen support, and models dynamic lighting depth of field i think you can increase the frames per second up to like 120 or something crazy like something that is unnecessary it's also available on all the major platforms so besides steam you can pick it up on your switch your playstation 4 your ps5 your xbone xbox series whatever they're called so if you want to play quake it's out there for you. Well, and now we'll get to the end of the show uh, where we'll do our byway pass. And for those who are new, how we conduct our byway pass now is that Zach will have a byway pass game for me. And then I will have a byway pass game for Zach. And we'll tease the game out to try to entice the other one of us. And and then we'll reveal the game. Then the that person will go and research it, determine kind of like their first instincts on how they feel about the game and then they'll give their rating by way pass based on just their uh first instincts so these are blind we don't uh share what the game is beforehand so it's always a surprise and maybe one day we will both do the same game which will be funny but anyway uh zach do you want me to go first do you want to go first i'll go first so seth hold on i gotta put on my listening ears i haven't been paying attention this whole time your listening ears as opposed to what you're just like aesthetic ears no my ignoring ears (laughs) 
Wow. Okay. So uh, this game Seth, is set in the middle of a cold war between humans and another race of beings called the Lorks. And in this game, I'm going to try to, without giving away the plot, describe it. So it's in the middle of this cold war. It's a, a space cold war. And you are playing in the role of a person who has kind of a mundane job in this in this space called war. Are they a janitor? No, you're working for someone else. In this job, you have some daily duties that you must maintain to kind of uh, keep up and, uh, you know, make money and also, but you do end up playing a key role in the events of, of the world or the universe. I'm intrigued. What is the, the game called? This game is called Intergalactic Pawn Shop. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna cut for a second, and we'll be right back after I do some research, and then we'll we'll play our new I, uh, elevator music, I guess. And we're back! Wow, we're back. So this game looks uh, very fun. It is it is definitely up my alley. Uh, it reminds me a lot of No Umbrellas Allowed, which is a instead of being a sci-fi, it's dystopia, which is kind of like sci-fi adjacent. I feel like, and you are working in a pawn shop, and it's it looks like they are definitely going for like the papers please type of uh, gameplay, which is always uh, always acceptable. I'm very happy that you brought this game to my attention i i don't think i've seen it before based on the screenshots that i'm able to look at it looks it's it's fun it's got like very bright kind of pastel colors to it and this looks like a game that if it is so i'm gonna i'm gonna do a, a buy weight so if this game comes in under 10 bucks I'll probably buy it. Maybe 12 bucks. I'll probably buy it. Anything over that, I'll probably wait till it's on sale for 10 bucks. So it's like a solid $10 game, if that makes any sense. All right, I'm going to describe your game. Let me put on my listening ears. Now, you're going to have to try and survive in this game. There may be things that will go up against you, such okay. as bad people, severe frosts, and changing weather. And there may be wild animals. And it's going to be cold. And you may have to do some maintenance. Are you ready to hear? I am. Yeah, tell what me what it is. is. Are you intrigued? I am intrigued. I'm intrigued. It is Trans-Siberian Railway Simulator, where you get to drive the classic Russian locomotive. And we're back. So, Trans-Siberian Railway Simulator. Okay, so when I went to the Steam page for this, Seth, I immediately was like, I'm going to pass on this game. This game is a definite pass for me because I'm not really into train simulator games. However, the like the second screenshot of the game shows you fighting wild animals. And now it just sounds outrageous. Do you know what this game reminded me of? What? That, that train game that you sent me. Oh, the horror game. Yeah, uh, uh, Charlie Choo Choo or whatever it's called. Charlie Choo Choo, yeah. Where you're like building, yeah, yes, yeah. That actually reminds, yeah. Well, like there's just some like things like you have a stat for not only your food and your cold and your hunger, but also your alcohol blood level. So I, I like this. I really like this. You know, I might, I might put this down as a buy. 
now I might change my mind. I don't know. But right now it's a buy. This game looks stupid, but also great. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a designated release date. It just says coming soon. Hopefully, we uh hopefully it comes out in the near future and I will uh I will check it out. But yeah, right now it's going to be a buy for me. This looks fantastic. That's going to be our show. Uh hopefully you'll enjoy the the Quake show. Oh, did you know that when this episode's released, Zachary and I will be at Retro World Expo. So if you're hearing this episode, Retro World Expo's most definitely over. <laughs> or the last day. It's just Saturday, Sunday con. It'll be on Sunday. So w- it, I mean, what? will be this, out Sunday. We might be walking around. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for listening to us. 101 episodes. Amazing. Now, let's say you want to listen to us, contact us, and support us. Well, there's plenty of ways to do that. First off, if you want to listen to us, as we say, you're already listening to us. Congratulations, you've made it this far. However, if you want to get your friends to listen to us, tell three friends if you can. Uh, That would be great. But in any case, let them know that we are available on all the major podcasting applications that are out there. So we are available on Podbean, we're on Stitcher, we're on Amazon, we're on Google, we're on iTunes, everything. You name it, we're there. Let your friends know that you listen to Classic Gaming Brothers and tell them that you love our podcast. You can also listen to us on our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com. And you can also listen to us on Facebook now. So Facebook.com forward slash Classic Gaming Brothers. Now, if you want to contact us, well, the good news is I already gave you two ways that you can contact us via our website or our social media. But if you want to email us, you can email us at ClassicGamingBrothers at gmail.com. You can also use the contact form on our website website classicgamingbrothers.com or you can follow us on any of our various social media pages we're on facebook instagram twitter and twitch our facebook and instagram are classic gaming brothers our twitter is cg brothers pod and our twitch is twitch.tv forward slash classic gaming brothers we don't stream a ton on twitch but we appreciate you if you follow us as i mentioned you can uh, like us on those and you can reach out to us if you want to on those um however liking us on facebook instagram twitter all those things are also great ways to support us so if you want to support us be sure to like subscribe ring bells uh leave comments leave reviews uh rate us on itunes if you can uh leave us a comment on podbean we'll appreciate it uh or send us an email let us know that you love the podcast let us know you are interested in the podcast or maybe give us ideas about things that you want us to talk about if you liked this episode where we did kind of a deep dive on the history of quake or maybe you want to learn a bit more about id software or maybe you want to learn about some of their other games like commander keen then you can uh reach out to us and we will be happy to receive your email another way you could support us is you can visit our website and you can certainly purchase some of our merchandise that we have though don't feel obligated to do so but we do have some t-shirts and some mugs on our website or at least one mug on our website and a couple of t-shirts so uh check us out online do all those things etc etc but that's everything that you can do in order to listen to us contact us and support us seth is there anything that i forgot because i probably forgot something don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right i horribly timed my that's writing for you i know you did it on purpose